I'm Amy, and you're listening to the Creativity Matters Podcast. Today on the Creativity Matters Podcast, a couple of nature-oriented books that I think you'll enjoy. Here we go. You're listening to the CMP, a Creativity Matters Podcast. Stories of creative journey and a reminder that creativity matters in whatever form it takes for you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Creativity Matters Podcast. I'm Amy, and this is episode 370, Nature Guide. I am going to squeak in recording the show and then edit it when I can. So I don't know exactly what that will mean or what the schedule looks like, what's going to happen. Lots of things in my way recently, including sometimes myself, but some really consistent daily art happening. I feel good about that. And a car sitting outside with a flat tire. I don't feel good about that. I look out my window and I see that now that it is morning, it is completely flat and it just kind of makes me queasy. We just had a little bit of a a shake too, a little bit of an earthquake shake happen, and that also always makes me feel a little queasy. So the car though today, that's the top priority on a weekend that I really wish it was not in my way. The tire light started coming on yesterday in the middle of a several hour drive. I filled the tire several times, and then the light came on again midway home, right as I got ready to cross a multi-mile bridge. And let me just say, these things are not good for me. They are really not good for me. That was not part of this impromptu weekend plan. And these are the moments I just wish somebody would swoop in and handle it. Someone else would just handle it. What I really want to talk about today has to do with lists and goals. It has been swimming around in my head for a few weeks now as I've been thinking about how I set up my 50 before 50 list and what that has meant for the things that I really considered but did not put on the list. And it's been very interesting for me to think about. And I want to talk about that. I really do want to talk about that, but I'm not sure I will be able to wrangle that into shape today. Not sure. I also have two books that I want to mention before I return them to the library. Two books that are both nature related, not quite what I expected, but two books that I do want to bring to the show. And those will actually be followed by another one that is also loosely related in theme and approach. I was looking at it in the car the other day, and that will probably be in the next show. So let's first see where today goes, what happens, how this unfolds. Inktober is underway for those of you doing it, a drawing a day in October in ink. Some of you are following the official prompt set, and it is always inspiring to see what you choose to draw each day to fit the prompts and to also make your drawings work for you. And as a part of your set and your voice and your vision. Some of you do just an amazing job of tackling those prompts each day. I'm not one that always likes that, but some of you do, and some of you do just a brilliant job of it. Sketchbook buttons always manages to find just the right lyric and pairs those with beautiful portraits. There are also numerous other prompt sets this year. I don't always follow prompts. Last year, I did a few of the prompts outright, 
but then kind of slid off into my own thing. I was doing portraits anyway, so I was always going to be doing a portrait in the accordion journal. And in some cases, I found a photo that really worked for me with the prompt. In most cases, I think about the prompt, but it's not always obvious to other people. That's true with Summer iCat as well. But I ultimately, I think, slid off and just did my own thing. At some point, the prompt following becomes a little too much for me to fit in somehow, just in the way that I work all of this into my day. So this year, I wasn't even sure that I would do Inktober. I wanted to do a visual journaling month instead. I wanted to do Inktober through visual journaling instead of through these daily single drawings. But as I finished up the 30 inks, 30 days challenge from last month, I kind of did the expected thing and just rolled into a new grid, new portraits, and I'm just gonna go with it. I really, really, really had my heart set on something a little different that I might do with a few other people. But you know, I am actually at this point, a couple days in, pretty happy with what I'm doing and with the decision to just go ahead and do it. And if I change my mind in a few weeks, it's okay too. I am happily back into some black ink. Yes, after a month of color, daily color. I'm really, really sort of bathing in the black right now. And I'm even back with my favorite pen. Yeah, yep, right back into all my comforts here as we, you know, embody October and Inktober. Although I am mixing things up a little bit with the addition of some Micron. That was one of the mm, most unexpected discoveries for me this year so far. So many people kept swearing by Micron versus my longtime pit loyalty and my newer pick of the Unipin. And it always felt like, well, everybody has sort of their favorite. They're probably all the same. <laughs> but I finally treated myself to a three-pack of Micron a few months ago after some feedback over the summer, noting a difference in my line work and a couple of the portraits I did for ICAD. And when those comments happened, I knew that those correlated to me picking up a pit pen after a very long time and doing some portrait work with that versus using my fountain pen. And the comments made me really stop and look at it because I kind of felt it as I was working on it. I felt the difference in line. I could see it, but that other people commented on it really struck me and made me look critically, not in a bad way, but made me really look at the line that I've become so used to with my fountain pen. And even though it is an extra fine nib, it is quite a bit thicker than what I can do with the fine liners. So I gave that a lot of thought and I kept going back to people talking about the microns. I have not usually been one to mix things up. I usually, if I pick up a fountain pen, that's what I used to draw that night. But because I saw the difference, I started experimenting and combining a little bit. I picked up those microns and I have to admit, I think they are, uh, they are a new favorite after all these years I really think I've been missing out by not really trying them. I have been dumping pens from all over the house into bins 
to do a giant pen test and pen sort. And I thought I would do it weeks ago. I thought, oh, this is a really smart thing to do. It's good organizationally. It's good cleanup. It will be a good distraction in these weeks. They've kind of sat. These bins are overflowing and there's just so many of them. They're pens and little jars and little cups, broken coffee cups and empty jars and other kinds of containers all around the house on every shelf, every nook and cranny. And the general thought is that there is never anything to write with in the house, right? We need to write a note and there's nothing to write with. And yet there are so many pens in these bins now that it's one of those crazy paradoxical moments. Lots of these pens are 10, 20 years old. Lots of those gross kid pencils, the erasers get gross. The pencils never sharpen or they're always broken when you sharpen them. So I thought I'd use up some time, do a pen test. It sounded satisfying. It sounded incredibly methodical. And I would just toss all the ones that don't work. I would organize some of the other ones into logical places and ways, put containers that make sense in the places we need pens, but all the random drawing pens and art pens that I do find kind of cluster those and see what I have and start using things up in a different way. Overall, all these pens are not art pens. It's definitely not like that. This is just kind of random pens, the kind of pens that a household collects, right? You know what I mean? This is not your oh, look, I have this humongous art pen collection. It's much more random and much less fancy than that. I have found one or two microns from years past. So I guess at some point I experimented with a couple of them, but I wasn't doing the same kind of drawing at that point. And the ones I found definitely are not very fine pointed. It doesn't look like I tried different sizes. I think I might have found one or two in different colors, which would be very different. Overall, I don't think I ever really, really tried them out. And definitely not since I started doing the kind of drawing that I think about now. So I'm so glad that I tried Micron. I'm so glad I splurged that day. It was an uncharacteristic thing. I know it doesn't sound like a splurge to most of you, but it really was. And I'm glad I did it. It was very impromptu. Normally, I would just order from Amazon because it's cheaper. But I was in a place, in a moment, and thought, I need to just do this. And so I did it. I bought a three-pack. It's not like it was a huge deal. And I'm so glad that one of you kept nudging me because it really made a difference. It really made me think about it and consider it anew. And I'm glad that others of you gave me feedback that made me look again at my line and go, hmm, maybe there's something different here to explore. And now I'm thinking, well, maybe there's a reason they come in all these sizes because maybe I don't always want to just be using one size for every drawing. And that is a very much a shift in how I think about it because I'm typically really happy with what I can do with a one pen. But I'm finding these days that I like that slight difference. I like the combination. I have found myself turning my nib upside down more often, which also gives me a finer point, a finer line. I keep seeing people talk about the 005 micron though, and I have to laugh every time that really blows me away. I am so not there yet. Really, I'm not. I have this love-hate relationship between my need to actually have the lines show up and the fine line. So I'm not an 005 person. Not yet. Maybe 
in five years. Who knows? The pack I bought came with an 01, an 02, and an 05. And I think the 05 is probably close to what I am used to. But the reason I'm really liking them is that that 02, you know, that's much, much finer than what I'm used to. The 01, it's too thin for me. I don't even think I've used it maybe once or twice and maybe only to letter. But the O2, it's an unexpected sweet spot. And I've been letting myself sort of realize that and see when I grab it, when I think, huh, I think I'll do this section of hatching with the micron instead. And just kind of watching how the pins play together and what I'm doing. So I guess the point is that you always want to be open to change. Really really be open to change. It's okay to be loyal. I really am a loyalist in a lot of ways. I do have favorite pens, favorite brands, favorite inks. And it doesn't always mean that I've tried every other thing on the market. It means that my approach to simplicity and streamlining and quieting the chatter and the chaos is to say, uh, you know, I like this pen and I like this ink and I could happily draw with these things forever. So I do realize that that may create its own tunnel vision, but it also creates a scenario in which I'm pretty content for the most part with what I have. I admit I'm in a point right now where I'm kind of in that, oh, I sort of want some new things, but that's not the point today. So I am for Inktober using my regular fountain pen. Very happy. I didn't use it at all during 30 inks, 30 days, and I'm really comfortable with it. I don't know what the difference is. I used a Lamy last month, but this is a different Lamy, and I don't know why this one works for me differently. So uh, not that I didn't enjoy last month, but it felt different. The inks were also different, but I'm comfortable, but I am finding that I'm combining with the Micron some, and then I'm filling in some solid spaces. And to do that, I just kind of pull whatever thicker black pen is around so that I can lay down ink. I really, really, really hate struggling with a an S, for example, to fill in a space. And even an 05, that's not big enough. So there's this need for something that you can get in the smaller spaces, but also lay down ink kind of smoothly with not a whole lot of effort so that it feels smooth and doesn't feel all scratchy and streaky. So I'm doing that. I am using a different set of prompts you can find them under the hashtag InktobeEva at Instagram. They are from Eva Chatelaine. I may say that totally wrong and I apologize. When I ran across this set of alternate prompts a week, maybe before Inktober started, they really caught my eye. They caught my fancy. They caught my sense of whimsy. I was a little bit enchanted. They hold together in this storytelling way. And that was when I first felt this real tug of, wow, I would actually do Inktober maybe with those prompts. And then I saw a couple other people in the CMP group also who mentioned the same prompts and they had noticed them and decided to do them. And I thought, you know, I think I'll just see what happens. So that's what I'm doing. And I'm glad others are doing that too. There are other sets also, nature and science ones. And I'm sure there are many, many others I'm kind of glad to see that there are these different sets because the official ones, they really don't always work for everyone. And 
as you know, I am a big believer in only doing daily work that I care about or that has meaning for me. That's what I always say is it has to have meaning for me. And I don't always find that with random prompt sets. So I am very particular. Maybe not everyone is. For some people, the challenge really is, can I think creatively today and find something that will work? And I'm just a little less interested in that level of challenge. Not right now. So my goals, I guess, with Inktober are a little different. Everybody's got their own reasons, their own approach. And I think knowing that and honoring that and respecting that, super important. That kind of self-knowing, it makes a huge difference in what you do and how you feel and how it works for you. There are so many challenges you can run across in social media. So many. It's a little overwhelming. In your smaller circles, it may also seem like there is a core set of challenges almost for every month of the year, and maybe more than one. Maybe some people do this and some people do that, but there's something for every month. And I kind of wonder sometimes how that ever changes, how someone breaks through that with something new, or if people get so locked into that, I'm doing this, and then you've got 12 things and there's no room to ever try anything different. And I'm a little wary of that right now, a little skeptical. There are times when I think, well, I'd really like to interject some new thing that I could do with other people, but they're always, always doing this other thing that's already kind of established. And so I have been thinking a lot about that. In terms of word challenges, 30-day sets or 30 sets or 31, there are so many, so, so many. Everyone is trying to get a group of people to do something together. And I'm almost to the point where I really think it kind of only really matters what you do with two or five people. And maybe you just need these little clusters of people who want to do things together because the whole big world out there, the whole big creative space is just too big. I posted my Inktober drawing the other night and I clicked the hashtag after that. I wanted to see if it showed up in the recent tab of the hashtag and I couldn't find it. And at first I thought, oh, wow, that's weird because I've read about shadow blocking, shadow banning. I don't remember. It's something like that. And I know I haven't. Why would I be blocked from Inktober? Obviously not. But when I didn't see it, I thought, wow, that's really bizarre. And I kept scrolling and I opened a few of those and they're like, you know, one minute ago, two minutes ago, but I scrolled and scrolled and scrolled And I had just posted and I scrolled and scrolled and I finally found it. But that means that there had been hundreds of people who posted in exactly the same time frame as me or in the 30 to 60 seconds, right, between me posting and me actually trying to figure out where mine was. And that is pretty stunning. Uh, A, that's pretty wonderful. It's fantastic that so many people are doing this and joining in to share drawings and ink in Inktober. But B, it's, wow, it's just a C. It is a C. And that was partly why I actually thought I might not do it to start with. So I'm keeping my perspective. I think all of this is a huge can of worms. This is the kind of discussion I often have on the show and then cut out and you never hear. I did want to do something different this month. Uh, fear of missing out is a big thing for so many people. And I watched it happen and I see it happen. And I know the tug of that. So for the moment, I am doing Inktober. 
I feel good about it. I'm doing it in a way that is manageable for me. It uses the grid that I was already exploring, but a little bigger. These are two and a half inch squares. I am not super worried about the overall. It's not like I took a giant sheet and I plan to hang this up. It's just in my sketchbook. I used my quilting ruler instead this time, which has plenty of guidelines, makes it much easier, way easier to draw out these lines. The two and a half inch is huge compared to what I used last month. And so far, I'm happy about it. I'm really happy about it. And I am admitting, and I already know this, but I was really trying to convince myself that I didn't need this, but I'm admitting that the bit of formal drawing, the doing of something like a small portrait or even a portion of a portrait each day is a really important balance for me against what's happening in the visual journal. So I had been really pushing myself to make the visual journal it, like all of it. And doing the 30 inks, 30 days really gave me a good look at the fact that doing the little bit of formal drawing every day is good for me. It's a good counterbalance. It's a good point of connection. I'm still looking on making these two different things balance out in a way that feels like I can do both. I'm still working on that. So let's go books today. We'll save the lists and goals talk for next time. These books are ones I want to mention just briefly. Neither of these was quite what I expected. Both of these, I think, will be of interest to different people and for different reasons. I think many of you will like looking at these, especially the first one. There are several people in the CMP community who are interested in nature drawing and or floral and botanical work. And it has been years since I've talked about some of the staple books in that area on the show. I have done that in the past. I have loved some of those books in the past. I was very much in that headspace a long time ago. And I'm not going to rehash those right now. It doesn't mean that I'm not aware of those books. And the books I'm talking about today are in no way replacements or alternatives. These are very different, although it's in the nature space. So when I saw these titles, I pulled them, though, because I know so many people who do nature work. And I was curious to see these. So the two books are Nature Anatomy, The Curious Parts and Pieces of the Natural World by Julia Rothman. And Botanical Line Drawing, 200 Step-by-Step, Flowers, Leaves, Cacti, Succulents, and Other Items Found in Nature by Peggy Dean. So the first, Nature Anatomy. And now I know that Rothman has a trio, including Farm Anatomy and Food Anatomy. And you can even buy that as a trio. There are even workbooks that go along with these. So I didn't know any of that when I looked at this book. I am just going to talk, though, today about Nature Anatomy. So I have not looked at the other titles. I was expecting some kind of nature drawing book, not necessarily a how-to, although maybe a little more fieldwork in style. I was expecting something slightly different. I don't know exactly how to describe even what I expected and why this isn't quite it. Partly it's the range of this book, but it's also the stylistic approach. But that doesn't mean that I don't like it. This is very different. Wasn't what I expected, but it's super cool to look at and it's very informative. It almost feels like a science book rather than an art book and that it's kind of a combination of those two things is actually really nice and really unique. 
It's like a science primer, like a resource you could read through to learn about a wide range of natural things. And she says in her intro that it is her nature book. Quote, it's the information I was interested in learning about, the things I wanted to draw and paint. While it is only a teeny scratch on the surface, it gave me a chance to become acquainted with plants, animals, trees, grasses, bugs, precipitation, land masses, and bodies of water that I wanted to be able to name when I walked by, end quote. And that's actually a really nice quote, a really nice explanation. This desire to draw things because we want to know them, to know what they are, to be able to name those things. And that obviously works for nature drawing, but I can make an argument that it works in many other cases as a reason many of us draw. The book uses a really simple visual style. It has the feel of pen and ink and paint. I don't know technically what she used. There's a really flat color approach to the book that makes it feel a little less like paint. Could be digital. It's a very accessible style. It's not overly detailed, but there is enough detail throughout that she is making these visual differences between two different kinds of things or multiple different kinds of things. She's capturing things in categories. So a page on the moon that shows all the phases, a diagram of the layers of the earth, different kinds of minerals, the rock cycles, you know, igneous, sedimentation, metamorphosis. There are fossils, microfossils, landforms. So as you can see, this is really sort of a science class. It's like a really fun and visually appealing science book. Not too much information, but enough. It's accessible. It's digestible. You see the picture, you see a bit of information and the name. You get diagrams, you get some facts. Years were the science all clustered together in these little collections that are illustrated and explained. It's really, really amazing how much she has in this book. And I'm only going to talk about some things. And so you have to realize there's a whole lot more in this book. I loved pages like the one on snowflakes. The book has sections on flowers, birds, mushrooms, leaves, trees, spiders, and on and on it goes. For something like a flower, you get a diagram that shows you all the parts so that the things you might not remember are nicely detailed and labeled. And then several pages of illustration of different flowers so that you could almost like a field guide, you could say, oh, I think that's what is growing over there. This approach is used for all the other subjects. It's quite enchanting. It's very informative. Of course, I love chapter six on birds. You get the anatomy of a bird and then many, many pages of bird drawings, each with a short description. And she also covers feathers, bird calls, nests, and even eggs. Chapter four, take a hike. You get the anatomy of a deciduous tree, an overview of tree shapes by white line silhouettes. That's a really beautiful page in and of itself. You get to see these different shapes. You might think, oh, most trees are kind of similar, but really think about these different shapes. The pyramid shape, conical, the column shape, broad, vase, weeping, rounded, open, irregular. There's a section on tree trunks and on dating of trees. Leaf identification, you get tips on observing by shape, by edges, by veins, and then examples of leaves, lots of them, and different types of bark. 
And then she moves into ferns and lichen and moss. You get a sense just from what I'm saying of how much is there. And I didn't even talk about all the animals or the insects or the other waterways, landmass discussions. I think this is a fascinating book. I think if you're interested in observing nature and doing your own nature sketching or journaling, there's a lot here to admire. And if you just love nature and science and or sharing that with kids, there is a lot to learn from this book. I think it's a great book to sit and look at with someone. You may find you need to jump to something more in depth afterwards. Depends on what you're doing and what you're researching. But I think you could spend many hours wandering happily in this book. Or if you saw a bird and you wonder what you saw, you might be able to look it up and maybe you'll find it. Or maybe you'll start seeing the kinds of differences that you should be looking for when you try to identify a bird. I love all the diagrams. And I love this sense of micro collections of things. I think I'll probably check out farm and food both just to see what those are about. I'm curious now what's in them and what they look like. The other book again for today is called Botanical Line Drawing by Peggy Dean. It really is exactly what it says it is. 200 step-by-step flowers, leaves, cacti, succulents, and other items found in nature. The book has almost no text, pretty much no text at all. Instead, on each page, you are shown step-by-step how to draw a single thing. You get the name of it, and then in five steps, you are shown how to draw it whether it's a flower or a leaf or a cactus. It's the additive approach, a la someone like Ed Emberley, which many of you used to know and used to use. So you draw this line and then you add this line and then this one and voila, a flower. The book is really cleanly laid out. It's really well done in this way. You get the name of the object and then steps one through five and then the finished view. Each drawing uses two colors. The green lines are the ones you're adding in that step. And the black lines that you see are the ones from the step before. And then underneath, there is a box for you to draw this thing yourself to practice. So it is set up both as a reference and as a workbook. It's really easy to follow. The process helps you break down various natural shapes into simple steps that anyone can do, really anyone If you like drawing this way, or if you're working with kids, then definitely take a look. And I say if you like drawing this way, I think this works for anyone who does a lot of doodling and a lot of illustrative work where you might want to be mixing up and adding in different kinds of flower patterns. This can be great for that. It can help you really branch out and build your repertoire. So I definitely think you can find lots of new shapes that you can incorporate into the kind of work you do. And this also gives you that mix and match approach. You could take these different kinds of flowers and line them up in countless ways or put them all in a vase of a drawing. All kinds of ways you can mix and match them to make different kinds of arrangements. If you're stuck in a rut and you tend to draw the same flower or plant over and over again, all your flowers kind of look alike, you'll quickly see that there are so many other options. Again, no text here. It's really a doodle workbook of sorts. I am the art. The art is me. And that is it for today. I think I'll probably be cutting quite a bit of this out, which also often happens. So we'll see how it ends up. I am going to log out and 
figure out what to do about my tire and try and figure out how to get as many hours as I can in the rest of this weekend. I really appreciate you listening. I do have a word for you today. I thought I will just open the nature anatomy book and whatever page I land on, I'll choose a word. And I did that and there was nothing on there that would really work. Nothing that would work for this. And so I did it again and nothing that would really work for this. I did it a few times and finally I was like, okay, I don't think this is the best approach. And then I did it again and here we go. Flamingo. That is our word for today. Please tell me I haven't used that before. So flamingo, flamingo, they've been on my brain because of some really whimsical and random flamingos that popped up one day and then the next day they were gone. So I keep meaning to mention that, but I just did. So today's word is flamingo. As always, I'm Amy. You can reach me at creativitymatterspodcast at gmail.com. The show notes are available on the creativitymatterspodcast.com website. The music I play is courtesy of Nikolai Heidless. You can find me at Instagram as oamyoamy. I really appreciate those of you who do comment there and interact with me there. I have gotten to know and gotten in contact with several of you there, and I really, really appreciate hearing from you. And I very much appreciate the support so many of you offer on just daily posts of whatever it is. So thank you. Thank you to those of you who are at Patreon. I have been working on some Patreon things. Some of you know that. Some of you at Patreon have seen that. So still some things to figure out and iron out. But thank you so much to those of you who are there patreon.com slash creativity matters. Until next time, remember that creativity matters in whatever form it takes for you, for you. And don't forget to breathe. Have a good week, everyone.